how do we sustainably grow to serve and work with more communities and more people and more individuals? So I think it's always that push-pull of how do you take risks that are calculated um, and how do you mitigate risk and make sure that you're not like blowing everything up in the process. And it's like a challenge that any business goes through. Any business leader is constantly trying to figure out You get your board involved, you get all your advisors involved, you kind of tackle it together, and you agree to go on the ride together. It's been said the power of the next generation is rooted in the success of women. We agree, and so does Jenny Luke, CEO of Step Up, a not-for-profit organization that works to propel girls going to school in under-resourced communities to fulfill their potential by empowering them to become confident, college-bound, career-focused, and ready to join the next generation of professional women. Coming up, you'll hear from Jenny as she discusses a change in the mission of Step Up, being a new CEO, applying for her first CEO job when she was not sure she was qualified, but going for it anyway and falling in love with the organization during the interview, working through conflicts with the co-founder to greater success and understanding, helping high school students navigate successful women networks so that they have the strongest chance to succeed, raising money for a nonprofit, and how nonprofits should be profitable, plus a surprise and a brainstorm right in our lane. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Given your work with the Step Up organization, what do you think is the future of of women? Oh my gosh. Start with an easy question. (laughs) Why don't we? Um, Future of women. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? We see all these um, messages like the future is female. Yes. And I very much, because I work with youth, the future is now for women. It's happening. It's not just about the fact that we've got all these women in Congress, that we've got more women running for president, that we're seeing women in landscapes and in places that they haven't traditionally been before, which is amazing and awesome. It is also that the young women of today, you know, are, am I allowed to say badass? Like they're amazing. You can say whatever you want to say. So, and it, it isn't really that the future is so much female. It's that those who are empowered now are making it happen now. And so it's just about making sure that everyone feels like they have a seat at the table and a right to be there and that they can show up with them, their full selves. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I am 31 years old. And I remember when I first started this business, you know, people saying, you know, um, how does it feel to be a, a woman in business? Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, you don't have the same opportunities as men? And I never felt that way. I wasn't raised that way. Mm-hmm. I was raised by a very um, outspoken woman who who told me that I could do whatever mm-hmm. I wanted to do if I worked hard and put my mind to it and, and had great hair. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, so so yeah, I I definitely feel the same way that that you feel. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you're facing now uh, in the Step Up organization? Yeah, I mean, I think Step Up we um, have been through a few iterations at this point, and so I think 
as a nonprofit, the the challenge and opportunity is always fundraising. So for those who don't know much about a nonprofit business model, but it's it's pretty much like doing a venture capital raise every year because you uh, you don't have a product from which you generate sales. You have programs and you have community service, which uh, is something that people need to and want to invest in. They don't tend to do it in multi-year contracts. They don't tend to, you know. So there's a lot of different folks to get engaged and different ways to raise money, but that's a constant um, effort, as is with any business. It's yes. business, right? So, um, but that to me is always the challenge and opportunity. And I say opportunity because then it's like you get to go out, talk about your work with everybody who will listen and get them excited about what you do, have a way for them to engage in their in their community and something that they care about, have partnerships that can really be leveraged to do amazing things. So it's one of the things that I enjoy doing. It's just, it's also one of those things where, you know, we could grow you know, we could grow in some significant ways if we knew that we had uh, consistent dollars. So how much money are you looking to raise this year? We are average. Our budget this year uh, for 2019 is about four million. So we'll raise we've already raised a chunk of a good chunk of that. So we're well on our way with our Q1 goals. Very exciting. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. But it's just, you know, that's just it's as much as People think nonprofit, what it's is it's a business like anything else. We right. have to turn a profit at the end of the year so that we can reinvest that in the business, so that we can make sure that we have a reserve structure that's really solid, you know, like anything else. So it's uh it's about making sure that we're out there enough getting people involved in what we do so that we can sustain it and grow it. When it comes to raising money, what are the most effective ways to generate the the most dollars? Yeah, I mean, I think really what we've been um, particularly successful with as an organization over time is finding, I think, like, you know, maybe similar to any business, but finding the intersection between what is the value proposition that we have as an organization and what we do and what are our partners needing? Like, what's the intersection? So for Step Up, because we run, you know, youth development programs, after school programs for high school girls, um, we need things like uh, field trips to companies. We need things like Saturday uh, office space f to run our 12th grade programs once a month because we want to get them out of the classroom and into a professional setting. We need mentors. We need, um, hopefully, a pipeline for these companies to host our girls for internships. So because so much of what we need to have successful programs aligns with what corporate partners and companies can can naturally do and that they want to do to provide internships and provide mentorship opportunities. Yes. We just really look for as many intersections as we can so that we have these really organic, um, authentic partnerships that's useful and helpful for everybody involved. Um, and then ultimately, we just make sure that, you know, our business model's working underneath all of that. So. So the corporations that are providing the office space and providing the mentorship, are they also businesses that are donating funds as well? Yes. Yes. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it's a pay to play. Yes. We yes. want to make sure that our girls who are part of this program know that the people that are coming to mentor them are invested in their success and that they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't take volunteers that are also individuals not associated with right, companies, right. et cetera. We <laughs> definitely do, but it's important for us to be able to communicate to the teens that we work with that 
um, these people believe in you so much that they're investing in you. Yeah, I remember when I was working at American Express before I started Social Fly, I was part of the uh, Big Brothers, Big Big mm-hmm. Sisters program there, and I think that American Express is also a partner of yours. Yeah, as well. we've worked with American Express as well. Yeah, they're great. Great, yeah. great. So, how did you get involved in the organization? Goodness, it's been a very <laughs> long time. So, let me like think back. Um, I have been a CEO for this organization for nine and a half, almost ten years. Um, so. I'm a lawyer by trade. That's, you know, my original kind of life goal, honestly, was to be on the Supreme Court. Um, Slightly ambitious. Uh, (laughs) Not that, you know, the only, you know, I would still be on that trajectory. I just didn't love the practice of law. But I got into law because I was interested in social justice issues, particularly equal opportunity. And so uh, I have just tried to play out that equal opportunity is my, it's my why. So just figured out, tried to figure out the right place to execute on that. So I got into nonprofit um, about 16 years ago. Um, and so now to almost 10 of that has been with Step Up. So, but ultimately I, you know, they needed a new CEO and uh, I got hired is the short version. Yeah. So <laughs> how did they find you? You know, it was interesting. And I, uh, <laughs> I was I had been working at the ACLU of Southern California, um, left there, was doing a little bit of consulting, and then three different people from three different parts of my network sent me the job and said, this is you. Uh, and it, the first person that sent it to me, I was like, yeah, no, this is too big. It's it's in you know multiple cities. It requires travel. Like this is a big job. I've never been the CEO before. I don't you know this. I was talking myself out of it before I even really understood what it was, which I think a lot of people do, particularly young women. Um, but it kept coming to me. Different people kept sending it to me, and finally, after the third person sent it to me, I was like, "All right, already, I'll interview and like figure out what it is before I decline." You know, um, and then here we are 10 years later. So um, it really came through a network of people who believed in me and who saw like they knew me well enough to be able to say this is exactly what you should be doing, which is cool. What was that interview process like interviewing for a CEO position? Gosh, it's it's um, it's different, I think. uh it's yeah, it's interesting. So this one in particular, because it was real small at that point, um, I think was still a robust process. It's just that it was a little bit different. This is really kind of the first there there. My predecessor had left um, and then the founder had taken back over the organization. And so it was like then it so it was, um, you know, it took four months. It was started off with an interview just with some of the board members and then it um, evolved into conversation with the prior person, then it was a conversation with the founder, then it was let's attend a couple of events and programs, and then it was, uh, wait a second, we now want to add this part to the search committee process. Because look, a lot of it with with any business, but especially nonprofit, it's about leading a community of people, and those people need to have buy-in in order to right. support the new leader. So it was a, a little bit of an extended process around all of that buy-in. Um, so it was a little different than other, uh, job interview processes that I'd had, but it wasn't anything that I had begrudged or thought was a bad thing. I wanted to experience all those things too. And just to make sure it was the right fit and that I would feel comfortable and that I understood, like had a vision for how I would take it forward. So 
It's a process. <laughs> yeah. At what point during the process did you know, okay, this is what I want to be doing? I think for me, like as with anything, it's it's the um, intuition. It's sort of like, okay, when at what point have I started to think in this language? You know, it's like, am I starting to dream in Spanish? It's like, right. am I, um, am I waking up with ideas about how to build this organization or how to take it forward or how to, you know, am I, am I noodling over challenges of like, well, this is happening, but gosh, I really might want to see it do this. And how would I make that happen? And who would I, you know, who would I talk to and who from my network would I engage in this? When I start to do that, I'm in, right. And it's sort of, and it's a very, um, sort of, I guess, organic, intuitive process for me more so than anything else. Well, clearly they definitely found the right person. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. It's been interesting. <laughs> it's been good. We've, we've grown a lot. So yeah. Yeah. You've had incredible accomplishments along the way, which I definitely want to get to, but I also want to know what was it like your first month being the CEO of this company, <laughs> a first time CEO? It was, um, Oh gosh, let me let me just put that memory cap back on. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the first month that or the first six weeks, let's say, that I was at Step Up was um incredibly challenging. We had um I was based in LA at the time. I was traveling out to New York because the director of our New York office um was out and we had a huge fundraising event. Um, that we'd never done before. I certainly had never done it before because I just got there, but the organization had never done the event before. It was complex and substantial. Um, so I had to be out in New York for about two weeks. Um, one of our board members had a, an empty apartment that I was able to stay in in the East Village, which was awesome. <laughs> um, and then, you know, it also happened to be UN you know, like the UN General Assembly, there was, I mean, it was like, there couldn't have been more crazy going on in New York the week that we had this event. Um, first CEO job, first couple weeks on the job. So I just remember it being a lot of, you know, trial by fire. Um, and then being at this fundraising event, having to stand up in front of people that I had just, some of, most of them hadn't met, just meeting board leadership, things like that, represent the organization. And then we had like a media partner who needed somebody to basically um, kind of host a tour around the event. So I just like take a mic and I'm like, okay, and here's what's happening at the event. And I act like a TV host for half an hour. <laughs> and then, I mean, it was just like, do what needs to be done, do what it is, do what's required to kind of get through this and make it, make it work um, and make it great. So it, I mean, I, uh, that stands out because it was something that was a pretty interesting trial by fire to do. And now it's like second nature and none of that's a problem, you know, but it's just not even like, that's not even the business side. That's just right. like a side gig of external facing things that I, you know, do uh, periodically now, but it was just one of those things you just jump in and you do it. So, um, you know, I can't even remember all the other stuff, but it was like learning the business while being very front facing and everything kind of minute one. So, uh, and then like, yeah, living out of somebody else's New York apartment and trying to, you know, I just was like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> when good. did you move here to New York? I moved to New York about five years ago. 
And that was actually, I made the business case to my board of directors that it made sense to have my role based in New York. Um, because the second that I got here, as I just described, I was in New York all the time. All I did was talk to people based in New York. The businesses that we were partnered with were largely in New York. The PR firms that were helping connect us with cause marketing dollars all were based in New York. So I was traveling out here a lot. A lot of our big partners were based here. And in order to kind of have those face-to-face -face relationships, I was traveling out here quite a bit. So it was in my head within like a month. I was like, why didn't they hire somebody based yeah. in New York? Um, but I understood it. Our founder, we were founded in Los Angeles. Our founder still lived there. She had been running the organization in the interim before I was hired. So I think that she really needed to have a comfort level with whomever was running the organization and who, uh, you know, she just needed to have more of an understanding of who I was or who the person in the seat was. Um, and then I made the business case to the board. I said, you know, my role, we will be able to fundraise more. We will be able to have stronger um, media presence. We will be able to partner with the types of businesses who want to partner with us. We'll be able to build those relationships better with my role in New York City. Um, and that has turned out to be true. But it took some time to convince everybody that that was worth doing. Um, and an important shift for the organization. So great. Coming up, conflict, growth, and a surprise. Something that I am very interested in learning more about is the CEO to founder relationship. Yes. What was that like in the early days? Gosh, you know, it was interesting because, yeah, I shared that I ended up taking over from Kay because she kind of took it back over from my predecessor. Um, Kay is our founder, and she's awesome. And, you know, it took a minute. I mean, it was – Kay and I have very different personalities, and it doesn't mean one is better than the other. I think that she's extremely entrepreneurial in the sense that she's an idea person – and then needs to probably hand off for execution, right? So that's kind of the relationship that um, I was trying to fill is to try to come in, take what was there, uh, add my own vision to it, but also make it grow and make it move and make it be what it really could be. Um, I think part of what we butted heads against at the beginning was style because I think in any business, but particularly in nonprofit, it is a consensus building exercise to do anything. It's not like, I mean, yes, I'm the CEO and I'm the boss, but at the same time, this is a community-based organization. It is about gaining funds and support from the local community. The board of directors is community-based. Like folks are doing this because they're volunteering, because they, they're, they want to be involved in their community. So engagement of all the different stakeholders in moving any vision forward is important, right? That's important in any business. I think that for Kay, that kind of consensus building exercise for her felt at the beginning like that was weak leadership. Like I wasn't just sort of taking the reins and running with it and just saying like, here's what's happening and like everybody get on board. Right. And I think that that's just not that Kay's a hammer like that, but it's just, it's just a stylistic difference. And until we really deciphered that, we butted heads because I think that, that I was like, okay, 
Kay's calling again. I can't handle this right now. I've got to do all of this stuff. Like, please let me be so I can get it done. And then I think she would be like, well, Jenny's ignoring me. I need to know what's going on, blah, blah, you know. So we had this kind of um, challenging relationship for several years, I would say. We always got along in the meantime. We always believed in each other as people. You know, it wasn't about like bad humans. It was just our styles were so different. And I think once she started to see the type of people that I was able to get involved in the organization um, and that it was growing in ways that she didn't anticipate or understand was possible and that, you know, the people we were getting engaged and how it was kind of creating a life of its own and really growing and building so that like, if I ever left, like she doesn't have to take it back over, you know, it's growing now. It's a thing in a different way now. It's getting to that other level. I think after about three years, our relationship changed a lot because it was evident that the landscape or the the floor that I had built was something we could grow from. And so it took some time, but I mean, it's all positive. Like we're still, we're good friends. You know, she's very much involved in the organization. She's on the board of directors. She's our founder. Um, She contributes a ton, you know, it's just that it, it was about figuring out what are the right ways for her as a founder to contribute and what are the ways that I as the CEO need some freedom to move right, um, and create and grow. So it's always been in consultation. It's always been in, you know, with the best interest of the organization in mind. It's just stylistically, we're just real different. How did you work through, through those conflicts in the early days? You know, I think for both of us, we both probably needed to like mature in the relationship a little bit. I will say for me, um, you know, I was 36 years old and being a CEO for the first time and taking something over and really trying to understand what was going on in the business, what, you know, I was underwater in a lot of ways in terms of trying to understand and grow and learn. Um, it was also the recession PS. It was also the advent of social media. So a lot of the funding relationships that we had that used to be relatively easy, six figures or set, you know, close to seven figures based on the email database immediately goes away because now it's like, well, why don't you just have a Twitter account and then I can count how many users you have and your engagement levels, like the business underlying business of what we were doing changed. So there was a lot happening. And I was sort of taking this point of view of like, yeah, I need help and assistance, but like, just let me figure it out. I need a minute. Right. And she was sort of like, but I need to know what's going on and let me help you. And so it was like, we just, it was very like, we were just antithetical in the ways that we operated. And so it really did. um, And I, and Kay and I have talked about this and I would say this in front of her too. I think it's just been getting to know and trust and value each other for who we are truly and what we bring to the table. Um, And I think as a young leader, I needed a little bit more freedom than I think I recognized or was able to ask for. It just kept coming out as like I'm butting against you as opposed to like, let me just declare what I need Yes, and know enough about my own leadership style to be able to say this is who I am and what I need. So it was a maturity process. It was a growing pains process and growing pains for the business process. Like there was just so much layered into it that sometimes it's like I think back on it and it's hard to define, but that's kind of, I guess, in retrospect, maybe how I would frame it. Does the the organization feel – 
more stable now that the world the world is still changing so yeah, so quickly everything. but social yeah. media is here to stay yeah <laughs> how have you um adapted i think we've been through um we've been through a lot i mean i think growing any business requires risk taking and it requires um You know, I mean, our strategic plan that we're coming to the end to was was aggressive growth for us, and we went for it, and we got partners that helped us, and then we also then had to backtrack and say, you know what, we can't sustain this part of it for a variety of reasons, and we need to pull back a little bit. That was painful, you know? So like any business, there's ups, there's downs, there's cycles, um, and it it's just, it's a, it's a learning curve. You don't want to learn that on anyone's dime. You know, you just never want any of that to happen where you have to kind of say, okay, this is what we're intending to do. This is how we're growing. And then it's like, we can't sustain the growth. So we need to pull it back. Um, super painful for everyone involved, but it's reality and it happens. Um, so we're very stable in terms of our overall financial picture and everything because we made smart choices and we recognized when we needed to pull back. Um, but it's we're still in a moment where, you know, how do you take something that is a vital community resource and grow it in a way because it's not just about serving the people that you serve and work with now. It's about the people who need us who we haven't reached yet. And that's where my sense of urgency lies. And so how do we sustainably grow to serve and work with more communities and more people and more individuals? So I think it's always that push-pull of how do you take risks that are calculated um, and how do you mitigate risk and make sure that you're not like blowing everything up in the process um, but how do you and keep it stable right. even while, while doing the risk, yes, you know, yes. and it's like a challenge that any business goes through. Any business leader is constantly trying to figure out, you get your board involved, you get all your advisors involved, you kind of tackle it together and you agree to go on the ride together, you know? And I think that keeping it stable within all of that, um, while we've always been financially stable at the base level, um, you know, does that stability feel good? It doesn't feel necessarily stable to all the employees right? or all the team or all of our partners. So I think that it's, um, you know, it's tough when you're the one kind of with the most insight into the business of it. You know that that it's stable. But how do you make people feel stable when there's change? How do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's something that we're going through right now. And it's like we have a, a young team, a great team fantastic team. They're such pros. Um, but a lot of the the young women that are on our staff, this is sometimes it's the first job they've had, or that's the first company they've really worked for. And certainly it might be the first time that they've been through a lot of changes that we've been through. Um, and so I think it's about communicating as, as much information as we can give that, you know, and, and making sure that people feel like they can trust the leadership to be making these decisions. You know, and we haven't always been successful. You know, internal communications around some of the changes we've been going through has been an ongoing process. Um, people are still, you know, it's like because they feel the the loss of resources right now, it's like a present. It's like a thing that's like yes. sitting next. Yes. You know what I mean? And so how do we 
help them feel supported when it it doesn't always feel that way. Honestly, it's like we're in the middle of it and we're, (laughs) and we're trying to, we're trying to get through it. And I think all we can try to do is be open and communicate. How big is your team? We're 30, 30. 30.5 full-time equivalent. So, (laughs) uh, yeah. So it's a combination of full-time and part-time and contractors and things like that, but approximately 30. And you were saying, or actually she didn't say this on, on record, but do you have an office? Um, so it's interesting. We have, I personally do not have an office. I work out of my house. Uh, our organization went almost completely um, remote work in October. So we do own a live work loft space in the arts district downtown LA. So our LA based folks have an office to go to. Um, and I think our Dallas folks um, are going to be housed by one of our corporate partners. And that maybe just launched uh, maybe like a couple weeks ago, which is amazing. But those of us in Chicago and in New York are um, working out of our homes and co-working spaces and trying to get creative about it. Um, and it's something that a lot of our team asked for more flexibility. But then we were also like, why are we paying all this overhead? And we just really started to think about, does it make sense for us to have offices? Because the work we do is in our schools. Right. So does it, you know, is there another way to think about this that will actually become a benefit to staff and to the team, um, but that would, would support our business model too? There's kinks to work out for sure. Um, I think in New York, like our team programs team, we have to have a storage unit for all of the materials that they have to schlep back and forth to programs and to schools. And um, that's a real challenge, right? It's like, well, you know, not everybody can put that in their apartment because we all know we have small, you know, and we don't need to require them to have a storage unit in their house for step up stuff. So I think that there's little growing pains that we're experiencing around those choices. I think we're going to work them out and be fine, but it's like little things like that, that you don't, you, you do the best you can to come up with a solution that we think every, everyone's bought into and we're going to work. And then in practice, it's like, yeah, it's not working as well as we thought. Like, how can we change it? How right, can we make right. it better? So. And how many high schools do you have signed up? We are operating in 21 high schools across the country right now. Um, we're serving about 1,300 girls this year. That's amazing. Yeah. And how does how exactly does the program operate and work if I am a high school student what happens for me? So we specifically work with schools that are um, serving under-resourced communities or either based in or serving under-resourced communities. So um, that's a poverty metric through like the federal free lunch program, mm-hmm. basically. So what percentage of the student body is eligible for federal free lunch? If it's 75% or higher, those are the types of schools that we are um, targeting for our programming. So the 21 schools that we're working with in New York, Chicago, Dallas, and LA kind of fit that metric. A lot of them are a lot higher, more like 90%. So that way, when we go into the school, we are open to any girl, any girl that raises her hand and wants to be a part of it. It's not about their GPA. It's not about any kind of particular uh, specifics on their end other than they really want to come. They want to engage in the programs. They they see it as an opportunity to explore themselves and to lift themselves up and to um, be more. So I think that we're open to any girl at the schools that we're partnered with. At the moment, though, we don't have programs for girls that are not in the schools that we're partnered with. So you kind of have to be in the schools right. in order for us to, to be eligible for the program. But once you're in it, you're open. It's open. And how long do they receive mentorship for? 
So we have, it's a combination of after-school programming and mentorship. Um, so the programs that we do, the curriculum that we have for the after-school programs is ninth through 12th grade. Um, it's, you know, one day a week for the school year, and it's really social-emotional learning-based. So we're, we have 13 different indicators of these 11 different behaviors that we believe make up the confident college-bound career-focused young woman. So this the curriculum that we've developed is really based on building those skills. Um, and then as they get into like 11th and 12th grade, it's much more about like, okay, let's take what you've learned about yourself and what you want to take out in the world and then say like, okay, and here's how you could apply it. Here's a bunch of different workplaces and jobs and professions and ideas about what you could do moving forward. Um, you have mentors that you can talk to about how they got there, you know, what their education pathways were, um, how they kind of got inspired, what their personal situations were that, that maybe limited or expanded their choices. Um, and then, you know, getting them into that career pathway through internships and through the network of women that we have who do the mentoring. What have been some of the success stories of, of women coming out of the program? Yeah. I mean, I think that the current model that we've been operating under, really, we developed the curriculum starting in 2011 um, and have built it moving forward. So the kind of first class of um, young women that graduated from college and kind of have been out in the workplace or that are, you know, juniors in college kind of getting out there in the workplace have been doing amazing things. Um, they're amazing girls to start with. We just help give them a framework for their becoming and emerging. Um, and some of the things that the alumni um, expressed to us, like one in particular, she um, she came and spoke at a Step Up event for uh, some of our board members. And we always teach the girls, here's how you talk to anybody that you meet. Here's your elevator type pitch about who you are and what you want out of your life and how they might be able to help you. So she certainly did that and then got an internship at NBC Universal out of it and now is a an employee at NBC Universal. Like first awesome. job out of college, right? So I think the way they articulate it is that it's the value of the program is in helping you kind of figure out who you are and what you want, but the real payoff is after high school and after college because the network of women. And that is really this bridge of social capital that we're building helping our girls build, right? That they have a network to go into that will help them be employed in opportunities that they wouldn't have heard of otherwise, right? I mean, so many people get their jobs through who they know. Right. These are closed networks. If you're not in the network, you don't get the job. And so a big part of what we do and our mentoring model is about expanding the network for the teens so that they can get themselves into these kind of closed pipeline jobs. So a lot of our girls articulate that they're getting further faster, even than their peers that went to great high schools or were in other programs or whatever, they're getting further faster along their career ambitions because of the network that they've cultivated through the women that we have as mentors, which is by design. And so to see that paying off is huge. Why did Kay start this program? You know, it, it was a very different iteration when Kay started it. Kay... Um, was in her 20s, uh, late 20s, and uh, her mom was diagnosed with cancer. And Kay was um, a talent agent at the time. She was, she was in the entertainment business, and she kind of got a group of girlfriends together and said, look, we're incredibly lucky. We have resources. We have access. And yeah, we're having a good time, but what else are we doing with it? You know, how can we make a difference for our community? There's a lot going on in our community. How can we make a difference? 
And so that question ultimately continues, you know, the answer to that was how do we leverage everything that we have access to? The talent that they have access to, the media that they have access to, the um, uh, resources that they had. How do we leverage that on behalf of the community? And so that theme has really continued. It started out doing women's health programming. There was a lot of different ways in which the the, the idea of how do we strengthen community resources for women and girls was the original concept, and that's extremely broad. Um, and then when I came in, it, we continued to narrow it in terms of like, how do we really focus and leverage what is unique about this network of women that we have and their desire to give back to the community that we can really make an impact with. And so looking at, we flipped it. I mean, in 2015, we went from being an organization that had a lot of focus on the women to being a focus on the girls and really doubling down or tripling down on building out the after school programming and mentorship angle that we had been doing kind of a little bit less uh, committed to, but had been doing it as one of the pathways to get involved, committed to that, and then made it about the girls and the women are actors within the girls. And like, it's very important that our women are inspired to engage on behalf of our girls, but it's like, how do we lift up the girls? And it's about them and the network supports them. So that concept of mentorship, but making it about, um, it's your job to open doors. That's what mentorship kind of means at Step Up. Great, great. Up next, how the Step Up mission changed and a brainstorm. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed. It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. I really want to talk to you about the mission and how it's evolved over the years. But before we get to that, something that my business partner and I always do is we like to surprise and delight our guests. Oh, my goodness. So today (laughs) we actually have a treat for you, Jules. We'll we'll bring it over. Uh, We got you some... Some cupcakes. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I love cupcakes. They're my fave, and they have the Step Up logo on them. That is so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So oh if you're God, going to have it. any good meetings after this, definitely bring those oh along. Gosh. We know that yeah, people love them. afternoon <laughs> meeting over coffee, they're going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, I yes. love it. Did you see this? Uh, did my team tell you that I love cupcakes, or did you – See it on Instagram or we always will will stalk an Instagram stalk profile to try to get a taste of of what you like. That's what we advise our clients to do with, yeah. with their customers online. Um, oh my God, so I'm, I'm really so glad excited. we we so succeeded in, in surprising you. And we also Yay. have an entrepreneur's to swag bag for you. Oh as well. yes, I saw that. It looks so cute. I love it. Awesome. Thank you. You're That's welcome. So thoughtful. I appreciate that. Thank you. I like <laughs> they're now they're very tempting sitting over there. So have one. I want to talk to you more about the mission and how it's evolved over yep. the years. 
what was the mission on day one and how many times did it change over the years and what does it mean for you? So, um, okay. So when I was hired in July of 2009, the mission was strengthening community resources for women and girls. Um, what it is today is, um, really the vision is so that all girls have the opportunity to fulfill their potential. And where it, there was a middle mission in between that when we were, when I was doing the pivot, um, it's like taking a big ship and, and trying to identify, you know, it's like, what are the real assets here and how do we zero in on that? Because we were being very broad in that strengthening community resources for women and girls. How do we look at what we're doing and assess? Is it the most impactful thing we could be doing with our time, energy, resources? You know, is there somebody else in the community that's doing it better? You know, can we let them do that work and have us focus our energy here? Those are the types of questions just kept asking. Um, and so there was a women's health component to what we used to do uh, because Kay was inspired to found the organization through her mom's cancer diagnosis. That's incredibly personal to her. And it's a, a very important area of work for women and impacts girls, certainly. But the we weren't going to be the next Susan G. Komen. Like there were so many organizations that were already having a stronger impact than we were in that area or that we had the expertise to be um, that that was the first thing that we let go of. And that was a hard change. I mean, that's, that's how that speaks a lot to our founder being able to say like, that was the, one of the reasons why I was inspired to start this organization, even though the mission kind of went beyond that. It's just like to let that go and to be willing to let it go to make sure that, that we were being true to actually focusing on strengthening the right resources was, was big. Um, and certainly we lost a few people who, you know, as board members or supporters who were like, but the reason I invest in this organization is the women's health component. And it's like, I get that. And that's not an, it's not an easy decision to make, but we know that we can do more impactful things if we focus. And that's just not going to be the area that we focus on. So that's, you know, as a new CEO coming in and being like, yeah, Hey, we're going to change the mission and we're going to let go of the original big component was a big deal. Um, I'm not sure why I thought I had the balls to do that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> young and inexperienced, and it was just like, let's make it happen. Um, but I, but what I really saw in the vision for it was um, truly about this concept of opportunity for all, right? That's what I've always been inspired by in my career. And I just saw that so present within what was going on with Step Up and how we could evolve it. And I think, you know, getting it from strengthening community resources to women and girls, there was an interim mission to, that I frankly cannot recall at the moment, but it was still very much about women and girls. So the final pivot came in 2015 when it was really about, let's make this about the girls. Because those are the where we can focus our energies for the most impact. The network of women that we have at Step Up, we are blessed to be in connection with, in partnership with. Um, they invest in us with their time, their talent, their dollars. Um, they get their companies invested. They're incredible. Um, they are capable of connecting with one another without necessarily having step up as that connection point. There are other ways that they can navigate the world. But 
if we can be in service to the girls in the communities that we're working with and help them navigate that world, that's where the impact is. That's just what I saw from the beginning. And so that's how I have worked with everyone to kind of move that forward. So in making that shift, we were called Step Up Women's Network, changed the name and updated the brand in 2015, did a refresh um, to change the name. Just to, People called it Step Up anyway. That was the mm-hmm, shorthand, mm-hmm. but um, you know, made that change because we wanted the girls to feel more, to see themselves in it, not necessarily because if it's women's network, it was a little bit like that doesn't quite fit. I don't know how that impacts me. Right. So right. how do we make it about the girls? but still retain what was magical about it to begin with, which is this network of women. So that was a process. It was an evolution. As you, you know, I, there were so many components to making that shift along the way, not least of which was our founder Kay being willing to be on that journey and help advocate for the changes. I think it was also the way the world was evolving and like everybody, it's like when you say to people and you are clear, it's sort of like, you know, there is no access for the girls in the communities that we're working with. The girls are outstanding. The girls are not a problem. It is the world that they are moving into that limits their opportunity that we have to address. And these women are in so many different companies and industries and have so much access that they can make that change. Like them as a single actor can make change that will impact an entire community because if you let one person through the pipeline, it starts to create a pathway. And that's what we've seen. And so it's that the capital that is within our personal networks as humans that can be transferred and wealth can be transferred in that way amongst communities. And the communities that the girls come from have a ton of wealth in terms of a lot of different experiences, whether it be cultural, whether it be religious, whether it be their families, whatever. They sometimes don't have the capital that some of these other networks do into careers and professions and jobs and education. So it is that exchange that is, I think, the hallmark of what Step Up's intentions are and and the opportunities that are created for all girls in that way. Um, so to it's still about community resources for women and girls. It's just the execution of it has evolved quite a bit. And putting the emphasis on the girls instead of the women makes a big difference. What um, – well, let me think about this question. What I want to know is – like what are the what are the biggest challenges that the the girls are facing in terms of tapping into this network? What do you have to train them on to you know have the confidence to you know reach out to someone? Um, what are you training them on in terms of what are they going to say once they have that conversation? That's- yeah, I mean the teens in our programs, you know, again it's, we work with them ninth through twelfth grade. We have um, really these eleven different behaviors that we're working on with them. And those behaviors range from, you know, am I willing to take on leadership positions to do I raise my hand in class to am I open to receiving feedback from my peers? Am I open to receiving feedback from adults? Um, So there's a range that helps us understand how comfortable and confident they are engaging with the world around them, right? So it's not about anything that they need to fix or change. It's really about how do they... Um, how do they evolve themselves and continue to feel confident in any space they go into? So, um, 
those are some of the skills that we're trying to work on with them. And then we put them, we work with them in our after school programs on skill building. And then we have this network of women that we have them engage with where they get to practice the skills basically. So we require them to be able to introduce themselves to the women in our, that are mentoring that day or volunteering that day and be able to say, hi, this is who I am and really start to engage in a dialogue with them. The more practice they have at it, the more comfortable they become like anything, right? Program theory of, of, of efficacy, right? It's do, right. see, hear, feel. You do it. You see others of your peers do it. You feel safe in the environment. You hear positive feedback from the people that you're engaging with. You learn the skill. So that's really what we try to do over and over and over again. And the girls, as they're evolving, kind of just become more comfortable in more situations. The more they lean into the program, the more that they come on the field trips, the more that they take advantage of the internships, the more that they exercise the muscle, it builds. Right, right. I love that. And I definitely want to figure out how I can get involved yeah. uh, because I am totally on board with with this mission. Uh, something that we also like to do on the show is a brainstorm where okay. we'll put 60 seconds on the clock and you can ask me uh, whatever it is that you, you know, want me to brainstorm with, with you on. So is there any challenge you want to work through? Anything you want to learn about marketing, social media? Pick my brain on on anything. Oh my gosh. I'm going to be really selfish, but this is what popped into my brain. So how can I, as a leader who social media is not native to me and that kind of expression is not native to me, how can I, as a leader, better understand and be comfortable with the tool and the, the resource that it is? you know, in the platform that it is to influence people to the, the stuff that I'm clearly passionate about, but it's just not my native way to express it. I would recommend that you start following other women leaders who you think are doing a really great job using social media as a platform. And then I would start practicing. And even though I run a social media agency, this is something that is still something that I have to work through because it's not easy or comfortable to uh, take a selfie or talk to the camera or do these Instagram stories or really put yourself out there and being vulnerable. But you just have to practice and be very, very consistent about doing it. Set a goal for yourself and say, okay, I'm going to post once a day on Instagram and just do it. And then over time, you get more comfortable doing it. But I'll tell you, it does take time to get comfortable doing it because it, you're putting yourself out there for other people to, to judge you. But I will tell you that the benefits are amazing. You know, you can build connections with people. People get to see the real you. People can relate with you. And um, you're just building brand awareness for your company. Is that exactly? <laughs> Great. Yeah. But yes, it's, it's oh uncomfortable. My God, I and my poor VP of communications, Alyssa, who I think uh, we've communicated with and been in touch with, like, she's so fabulous. And she's just like, Okay, here's what we need to do. Here's all the hashtags of the people that you're going to see this week. And here's what's – and like she does such a good job. And then it's just – I'm so much more like can I just be present with this person and have like a human interaction or like be really engaged in the content that I'm absorbing right now and before I have to think about how I'm going to repurpose. And I just like it's not – it's a thing. Yes. It definitely helps to have someone help you with it or someone who's doing it for you. Yeah, which I mean the step up does. Yes. But I don't. 
and so that's where I'm always a little bit like, I know somebody I was at a, it was just at this, at the makers conference, uh, which was a great conference out of the Verizon, uh, helps put on. And, um, there's so much amazing content. And I was sitting there, I'm like, okay, Insta stories. And I was just like, bing and like having it record. And like, I was doing the best I could, but, um, so, so many people there were like, well, where's your person that's recording all this stuff for you? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, it's me. So yes. like, uh, I don't, I don't have an editor. I don't have a person following me around. We'll, anyway. we'll do a training for you. Yes. That yes. would be so helpful. We'll do, little, we'll do a workshop. Barely know. How, I bought myself a selfie stick and I don't even know how to use it. We'll teach you. We'll teach you how to use a selfie stick. Baby steps. <laughs> I'm telling you baby steps. You're headed in the right direction, but I would just say just go play around try. in there and try I mean, I to set Instagram a goal for yourself and, and post frequently. And then you just refine it as as time goes on based on what's happening. And things are changing quickly on Instagram too. So yeah. what's relevant today may not be relevant relevant tomorrow. Yeah. What is a typical day like in your life? A typical day for me um, – has been shifting a little bit. Cause I think, you know, we shared earlier that I'm not going to an office right. every day anymore and I'm working from home a lot. Um, which honest to God, isn't that different because I travel a ton and like, I'm always on, it's just the laptop yes, is yes. the office. Right. So, um, that's a little different. I would say the biggest change in my life lately is that I got a puppy. <laughs> so did I actually <laughs> handsome, sweet puppy ever. And he uh, turns eight months old tomorrow. And so on a, that's just been a great addition because it's just, especially in the winter forces you to get up and out. Yes. Which has been great. Um, you know, but I'm kind of, I'm an early riser, kind of early to bed, early to rise person always have been try to get some exercise in the morning, you know, um, even if it's just some stretching and doing the best I can, you know, to have some tea, have some breakfast, uh, ease into the morning a little bit. I will say that my brain is firing really well in the morning. So sometimes as soon as I can kind of just get past that little initial waking stage, I will just sit down and go to work because, um, I'll have ideas. I'll be energized. My brain is really clear. I'll get stuff down. And then I, because I have this flexibility of like, the morning can be a little bit different. And then it's like, okay, I work from like seven to eight 30 and then hop in the shower or, you know, instead of having to leave at eight 30 to get somewhere by nine or nine 30. So, um, I tend to, I tend to leverage my day a little bit better in terms of where my natural energy flows since I work at home. So it, it can be anything from like just a spurt of work in the morning and then, stopping for lunch. And then around three o'clock, I'm like, I'm going to lose my mind, <laughs> take a break, you know, uh, and then kind of perk back up in the early evening, do a little bit more work. And then, you know, like this week I went to a play on Wednesday and Monday night I was at a seminar and, uh, you know, I just try to get out and do all the kind of cool things that are yeah, available yeah. in the city. I will say sometimes I'm really good at that and sometimes just epic fail, and forget to plan anything and just sit in my house and watch TV, which is fine too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the ebb and flow of it. And then what am I focused on during the day? I mean, it could be anything, you know, I mean, um, being a CEO is a big job, but it's also kind of a generalist job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, touching a little bit of everything, answering questions, being help make, make decisions that other people are coming to for advice, you know, um, working with boards, working with partners, doing new business calls, doing, you know, media opportunities, doing um, all kinds of different things. So there isn't truly a typical day. Right, right. It's just lately because I'm working from home the days when I'm home, it feels very different than it used to. 
It's really nice. I I envy your your flexibility, but it but it sounds like you know we're we're in a similar place. No two days are the same, True. Um, which I always find really really exciting. Yes. Uh, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Um. I think being, I think in having an entrepreneurial spirit is something that people have, whether they really know it or not, usually, because it's that, it's that bit of creative juice within you that helps you, um, bring something new into the world or even like makes an element of change about yourself. You know, if you uplevel your, your way of thinking about yourself or your way of doing or being with yourself, that can feel like an entrepreneurial moment, right? I think that some people, have also a business mind attached to that where they're like, oh, I have this creative spark. I have this idea and I want to build a business around it. That is maybe what everyone else thinks of as a true entrepreneur. Um, but I really encourage everyone to just think about what that creative spark is within them uh, and celebrate it and bring it out however they can. And it's not everybody needs to be the boss. Not everybody needs to be the CEO. Not everybody needs to be the founder, but it's like, how can you contribute that creative energy to whatever you're doing, um, within a company or within a, uh, you know, team or whatever it is. So the creative spark to me is really what the kind of entrepreneurista piece is. I love that. I love that. And I agree with you. I think everyone, whether you're running a business or working at a company, has the opportunity to be entrepreneurial, think outside of the box and approach yeah. problems a little bit differently. Definitely. Uh, thank you so much for, for meeting with me today. I had so much fun. Me too. Uh, where can everyone follow you or find you? Yeah. Well, people should go to um, just Google Step Up, um, but it's at S-U-W-N. So it used to be Step Up Women's Network. So we're still working on changing some of this over. So S-U-W-N. Definitely mentor, get involved. Our mentorship model is different than most people think. You can come once a year for an hour and make a difference in, in our mentorship model. So everybody should check it out and come and support where they can. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Entrepreneurista. Until then, I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Entrepreneurista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.